Thanks, Curran. Hey, can y'all, can everybody hear me okay? Am I coming through all right? I know it's a little bit more echoey this way, but thumbs up, thumbs down. Okay, great. Uh, let me pray for us. Father, thanks for this time. Thank you for the scripture. Thank you for your calling to us through these ancient words into our present day. We know that uh, for a lot of people outside of the faith, studying the Bible and looking at the scripture and submitting to it, it just, it's strange. People, it, it doesn't make sense in our modern world. And sometimes it's hard for us to make sense of why the word is so important, but you know why, and you want to lead us into a deeper understanding. So would you, uh, in your grace and in your mercy, lead us? May the words of my mouth and the things that each of us consider in our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. All right, welcome. It's great to see all of you here this morning. Thanks for being here. Before I forget, I need to start my little Facebook Live thing. But as I do, I would love it if you would type into the chat just a word of affirmation for our guest preacher last week, Ryan Winkleman. I listened to his sermon. He did a great job. So if you were here, type into the chat. Great job, Ryan. Well done. Good word preached. And that way he will feel the love this morning. Ryan, thank you for doing that. Thank you to all of our leaders for making it possible uh, to have a great worship service the week after Easter. And honestly, I was really thankful to get a break. Like, thank you guys for freeing me up to do that. Thank you, thank you. If you haven't had a chance to listen to Ryan's uh, sermon, I would encourage you to do so. It's on our, our website. It's also on our YouTube channel. So just search Bethany Eastside. I know, YouTube channel. It, it's beyond me. It's super fancy. By the way, uh, <laughs> I had to laugh at this. Remember how I was talking about how nice these flowers are? How many of y'all went like, I bet you they're fake? You would be right. <laughs> they are fake. I'm just praising the fakeness of the flowers here in the sanctuary today, but they still look nice. So there you go. All right, we're starting a new sermon series. Like I mentioned, the book of James. You can open up your Bible to James chapter one. We're gonna spend most of our time there today. Why are we talking about James? It's a very practical book. Like I mentioned earlier, it's uh, filled with all kinds of wisdom and insight. I mentioned how it's probably one of the earliest books of the New Testament. I'm really intrigued by the story of who James is. I'm intrigued by this. Now, if you grew up Catholic, you probably heard that Jesus did not have brothers and sisters, that that just wasn't a thing. That's tied into the whole Catholic doctrine of the Virgin Mary and that kind of thing. Well, there's... What that tradition says, which I, I want to respect, and then there's what the Bible says. And what the Bible says is that Jesus did have siblings. They were his brothers. They're referred to multiple times in the New Testament. And one of them is this guy named James. So James is the half-brother of Jesus. And what's intriguing about James is if we kind of chart a course through his life, he has this journey that's similar to my journey and maybe similar to yours as well. He grew up in a household where faith was taken pretty seriously. His father, you know, Joseph, the carpenter, his mother, Mary, faithful servant of the Lord. So he had these wonderful examples of faith growing up, but he didn't come to his own faith in Christ until later in life. The scripture tells us it didn't come to faith in Christ. He didn't come to faith in Christ until after the resurrection, which is so intriguing to me. And when he does, he makes a move that every one of us has to make. We do. And we have to do this multiple times throughout our life. The movement is this. You move from being an observer to someone who is deeply invested in the mission of God. 
You move from someone who is passively engaging with their faith to someone who is actively trying to find ways to invest, to change the world around you. That's one of the reasons we're choosing to invest in the Aurora Commons and the ways that homelessness is being addressed in our region and in our world. Because we want to make that step together. And my heart for us, church, is that in the weeks to come, as we look at the book of James, as we dig deep into it, that we will be motivated to step out in faith for the season ahead. Because make no mistake, we're entering into a totally new season of life together as a church. We've had some in-person worship opportunities, and it's gone really well. So we're going to take steps toward that. We're going to be attentive to the fact that people continue to need to be met online, and we want to do that well. But more than any of that, that's kind of inside baseball. More than any of that, we are walking into a season as a church where everything's up for grabs again, as if that hasn't happened enough. Now that we've got vaccines, now that we've got kids going back to school, there's starting to be some sense of normalcy. What does that look like? What does it mean as a follower of Jesus Christ to step out into a world that has been transformed by the pandemic, by all kinds of other forces, and to live that out faithfully? I believe James is the most instructive book that we could be looking at during this time. How do we do that well and faithfully? How do we walk out into the season ahead? We're going to learn about that for the next couple of weeks, and I'm really glad that you and I will get to be a part of it together. So our outline for today is very simple. We're going to talk about who is James. That's point one. What changes him? What brings about this transformation in his life? And three, what can we do about it? Who is James? What changes him? And what can we do? So part one, who is James? We kind of already talked about this. I didn't give anything away too much. But James is one of Jesus's brothers. He's part of the family. And I just want to pause for just a minute here and invite you to consider this with me because it's kind of mind-blowing. What would it be like to grow up in the same household as Jesus? What would that be like? How many of you are uh, not the oldest sibling? You've got brothers and sisters, but you're down the chain a little bit. You're second or third or fourth. Okay. So I'm an oldest sibling. My wife is an oldest sibling. So we've heard these things anecdotally. But I've been told that if you are a younger sibling, you probably had this experience where your older sibling, older brother, older sister, they were looked upon favorably, you might say. You might have heard them said, you might have heard it said of your older brother or sister, they can do no wrong. They can walk on water. Well, Jesus literally could. But there was an impression given to you as a younger sibling that you're always aspiring toward that older sibling, that person who is just a little bit further along in life than you. And I think that's one of the most remarkable things about the text. If we use our biblical imaginations here, let's say there's a little bit of that in play in Jesus's family, that James is a younger brother. He's looking up at Jesus, don't know how many years they were apart, but there's that tension there of, hey, he can do no wrong. He's the beloved son. And for James to come to faith, even with that friction there, is remarkable. For James to come to faith, knowing as we all do, this is what's great about having siblings. If you're an only child, I'm sorry, you're just going to have to bear with me for a minute. What's great about having siblings is other people know your dirty laundry, and they still love you. They've seen you be maybe at your worst. They've seen you freak out and flip out. At the very least, they have seen you spill your cereal all over the table. They've seen you do your laundry wrong, or like in my case, my siblings saw me 
back the car out of the parking spot at my high school and completely destroy another girl's car as she drove by. By the way, the girl was fine, but the car was not fine. Our siblings see us for who we really are with a ton of transparency. And oftentimes, that leads to a very different set of values and ideals. But in James's case, something different happens. He takes a step. He comes into faith in his half-brother. He goes, you know, this guy is my half-brother, but now I know, now I see he is the Lord, and I need to follow him. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul lists James as one of the people who came to faith in Jesus Christ after the resurrection. And this is just an important emphasis for those of us who've been in the church for a long, long time. This is why proclaiming the resurrection, by having Easter be what it is, a celebration of a miracle, that's why it is so important. Because the resurrection draws people into faith year after year after year, century after century, and James is no exception. So until the resurrection, he knows Jesus, he's learned about him, he's been a faithful Jew, but after the resurrection, a switch flips, something changes, and he's no longer passive in his faith. He's active in his faith. So that's who James is. Now we need to talk about what changes him, what brings about this powerful transformation. My contention is there's two forces that really shape James to become the follower of Jesus that he is, to become the leader in the church that he is. And it's pretty simple. It's the power of the word and the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the word of God, the Bible, and the power of the Holy Spirit. So two examples from the book of Acts that illustrate this. In Acts chapter one, James is listed as one of the disciples who is waiting for Pentecost. Waiting for Pentecost, what do you mean? There was a group of people who listened to what Jesus said after his resurrection. Remember, he told his disciples, hey, go wait for me in Jerusalem. You'll know when it's time to act. It'll be made clear to you, but go wait for me in Jerusalem. And so they did, and James is one of them. Remember, after the resurrection, he now has faith in Jesus Christ. So he goes to Jerusalem, he's waiting for Pentecost. And what happens at Pentecost, church? The Holy Spirit is poured out like a flood over God's people. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation are gathered there. And all of a sudden, everybody starts hearing their own language. They start hearing the language of God. It is a crazy moment. If you are Presbyterian like me, you still don't understand it. It's crazy, but it is real. And James is a witness to it. He has a front row seat to the power of the Holy Spirit coming into people's lives, anointing them, transforming them. But it doesn't stop there. Because one of the most important things we need to know about the power of the Holy Spirit is that it always happens in and around the Word of God. That the Word of God is just riding right alongside the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like if the Holy Spirit's in the driver's seat, the Word of God is, is in the shotgun seat, and they're tuning the radio dial, and they're making sure the Word of God just keeps, or that the Spirit just keeps on driving. Right after Pentecost happens, Peter gets up there, Peter, one of the other apostles, stands up and he explains to the crowd of people, here's what just happened. That's crazy. We just had the Holy Spirit poured out on us. Oh, by the way, you know who told us this would happen? The Bible, the prophet Joel. He, he called it. He said it was going to happen. And so the people can make more sense of what the Holy Spirit is doing in their life because they listen to the word of God. And James is no fool. And he takes a page out of Peter's playbook later in the book of Acts. This is the second note from the book of Acts I'll share with you. In Acts chapter 15, 
This is, you know, sometime later after Pentecost, we don't know quite how long, but there's a gathering of leaders to try to determine a very important, the answer to a question that has been pressing into the church now for a while, and it is this, do people who want to follow Jesus but are not Jews, do they need to be circumcised, the men, before they can follow Jesus Christ? Now, you might be sitting there going like, really? That's what people were hung up on? But it was a really important spiritual and theological question at the time. And so a group of leaders gather together to pray and discern, what do we need to do about this? There's Gentiles that want to come to faith in Jesus Christ. What should we do? And so they sit and they talk and they argue and they try to figure out what to do about it. And then there's a moment in Acts chapter 15 when our friend James, Jesus's half-brother, stands up before a council of leaders and he says, hey, I think I might know what to do here. Actually, the Bible will tell us what to do. And he quotes from Amos chapter 9, one of the prophets of the Old Testament who literally calls out the movement of Gentiles toward Messiah. Amos, written centuries before the birth of the church, Amos predicts this highway, if you can picture it, wrapping in from the land of the Gentiles, coming into the family of God. He called it, he saw it, he knew it. And when James shares this word with the Jerusalem council, that's what this group of leaders was called, the group Jerusalem council, they all go, oh, I get it. We need to make room for the Gentiles in our fellowship. And friends, unless you grew up in a Jewish household, every one of us who is here right now is here because James stood up and said, Gentiles are welcome. Gentiles belong in the family of God. And how did he know to do that? How did he know that he could say that? Because the Holy Spirit prompted him to, yes, and because he understood the word of God. I want more moments like that for our community where we say i know this sounds crazy but i've been reading my bible and i need to go talk to my neighbor about faith i know this sounds crazy i know this this is nuts but i've been reading my bible i've been spending time in the psalms and i need to go see a counselor because my anxiety is just crushing me and i need to make that move i've been reading the bible i've been studying it with my men's group and i need to go ask my wife for forgiveness I want more movements in our church based on the word of God to take the Holy Spirit's boldness and seek transformation for ourselves, certainly, but for our world. And James knows this is going to be a challenge. Let's go to the passage that Curran read for us just a moment ago. James chapter one. There's so much good stuff in James chapter one, but I just want to focus on verses 22 through 26 very briefly. James mentions this twice in 22 through 26. These two groups of people, the doers of the word and hearers who deceive themselves. So people who are listening to the word of God and they do it, they bring it to life. And people who just simply hear the word of God. Now, who's James writing this letter to? He's writing it to people like himself, to Jews who have stepped into faith in Jesus Christ or are kind of thinking about it. They're, they're letting it sort of kick around in their brain. James was a hearer of the word who deceived himself. In other words, he didn't have the full story. He was a hearer of the word, someone who had heard the Old Testament. He knew about Amos. He knew about this other stuff. But until Jesus Christ came into his life, it didn't click. 
And the Holy Spirit hadn't animated him for the ministry and leadership that he wanted to do. And so he has made that move, church, from being a hearer of the word to a doer of the word. Now, oftentimes when we talk about being doers of the word, people go, all right, let's get up, let's go, let's run out there, let's do something, that's great. But I want to be cautious in that. Because if the Holy Spirit is moving in you and moving in me, and I hope and pray that he is more and more, the last thing the Holy Spirit wants us to do is to go ready, fire, aim. You know what I'm talking about? Ready, fire, aim. How many of you have been in a startup? How many of you have been in a fast-moving organization where you go, ah, okay, let's just do the next thing. Let's do the next thing. This is exciting. This is great. And the adrenaline kind of fuels you, and it's fun for a while, but then it starts to get real old real quick. Church, I want us to be ready to be inspired, to get after our neighbors, to get after the problems of the world, to care for the poor. I'm not saying don't listen to the Holy Spirit when the Spirit tells you to do something. What I am saying is hold that up against what the scriptures say. When the Holy Spirit motivates you to do something, our first question should be, man, that's awesome. What does God's word say? Because we are a people that live under the authority of the word of God. This is why the call to action that James is talking about presumes an understanding of God's word. And everybody should be feeling a little stirring in your heart right now around this idea of, well, well, how well do I know God's word? How much am I spending time with God's word? I'm not talking about going to seminary. I'm not talking about watching a bunch of YouTube videos. That's all fine and good. What I'm talking about is, do you have a regular encounter with God's word so that you hear it and you respond to it? So that it's not unfamiliar to you to pick up your Bible and to read it. That's how we grow in any relationship, church, is to spend time with that person or that source. And what I want us to do as a church is for the season ahead between now and Pentecost, which is on May 23rd, to get real serious about the time that we spend in the Word. And I want to begin to motivate us in that direction by saying, you've already done this, church. You have already done this many times. One time that stood out to me that I was just thinking about and giving God thanks for at the beginning of my studies this week was about a year ago when the pandemic hit and we didn't know what to do. None of us knew what to do. But one of my friends from Young Life reached out to me and said, hey, Young Life as a mission is going to be reading Psalm 91 every day for 91 days. The first three months of this global pandemic, we are gonna read Psalm 91, we're gonna pray Psalm 91, and we're going to ask everybody connected to our ministry to read and pray it so that we might enter into this faithfully, whatever this is. And none of us knew what it was going to be, did we? But you know what I saw in each of you that read Psalm 91 daily? Because I saw this in my own family. I saw it as my children learned to read these words and to hear these words. I saw it in us, church. It made me so proud. I saw those of you who read Psalm 91 faithfully for that period of time. I saw you being patient. I saw you listening. When crises came and crises did come in those first 91 days, did they not? When that happened, I saw families lock arms together and say, we're going to get through this because our God is faithful. Psalm 91 is a psalm of protection, of provision. 
It talks about God sheltering his people under his wings. We read Psalm 91 at my dad's memorial. It's one of my favorite passages. And I saw you, church. You heard the word of God and you entered into the stress and the heartache of the pandemic at its earliest days. And you went, you know what? This is hard, but we're going to get through it because our God is faithful. And I want more of that for each and every one of us. I want more encounters with the Holy Spirit. I want more confidence. I want more hunger for our church as we seek to be obedient and seek to be bold through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you know what? A new season is upon us. As we engage with the pandemic and COVID, as we choose to get vaccinated, if we choose to do so, as we seek out our kids and taking them to school, they're going to school, lo and behold. As teachers try to figure out how to teach in a pandemic, as we seek to go back to work, if we're comfortable doing that, as all these things start to come up, the transformation that is happening will be influenced by anything and everything but the word of God unless we make it happen. So in your bulletin today are some recommended resources for engaging with the word of God. The how-to you already have in your hands. Open up today's bulletin, look a couple pages down. There's apps you can use on your phone because we're an app-based society, are we not? There are books to read that I would highly recommend. And there are groups that you can be a part of, including a group that many of you I know have been really faithful about showing up for, and that is a Bible study with our dear friends at Paradise Baptist Church on Wednesday afternoons. It's awesome. I would love for everybody to have the opportunity to call in, because it's a call-in Bible study, and sit under the teaching of Pastor Kindred and the faithful saints of Paradise Baptist Church. It's awesome. And I would love for all of us to get a chance to be a part of it. If you want to know more about that, get in touch with Ryan Winkler. So there's resources there that you can take a part of as we seek to be people like James who hear the word of God and are obedient to it and are passionate and empowered by the Holy Spirit. As you go to your breakout rooms, we're going to have uh, some discussions about these two very important themes today, the Holy Spirit and the Bible. And I just want to say these questions, they're going to pop up in the chat in just a minute. You might hear them and go, okay, great. Like, I don't have much to offer either of those. And if you think you have a lot to offer both of these questions, let me just encourage you to temper your enthusiasm because other people might receive that as kind of Christian bragging. Like, let's be careful about that as we talk about these things. Because we're going to talk about experiences of the Holy Spirit and how you like to read the Bible. And those can very easily become kind of a, a bragging moment in the life of the church. I don't want it to be that at all. I know you don't either. So if you have had an experience of the Holy Spirit, I'd, I'd encourage you to share about that. It can be something big or small. Made me think about some moments in my life this week. I've had some big moments with the Holy Spirit, certainly. I would say when we gathered for worship on Easter and on Good Friday, those were powerful moments for me. I've been just enjoying the Holy Spirit's presence, of feeling his surrounding us as we gathered in worship. It was so sweet and so good. And I've had little moments experiencing the Holy Spirit where I was reading my Bible, sitting next to a river in the mountains of Costa Rica, and my heart was being changed by the Bible yet again. Whatever your big or small moment of experiencing the Holy Spirit is, I would encourage you to share that in your small group. And then the other way I want us to try to encourage each other this week is to share how we like to read the Bible. What are some tools or tactics that you have found to be helpful 
to get yourself that regular contact with, with the power of the written word through the formation of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's an app that you love to use. Maybe it's just a time that you carve out in your day. One of the reasons I love Sundays and I love being able to be a pastor on Sundays is because I get to have special time in the word of God that I choose to set aside where I just sit with the scriptures and I pray and I pray for you and I pray for our church and I pray for our leaders. And it is some of the most rich and intimate time I get with the Lord every week. And it leads me into this time in worship. And it is so good. And so my encouragement to all of you is not to brag. I'm not bragging about that. I'm just saying, offer that as an encouragement to each other. And maybe you'll get some really good ideas from your breakout. So if we could, let's pop those questions into the chat. Let's get ready to go talk to one another. Take a look at those recommended resources in your bulletin. And let's get ready to go to our breakout rooms and have a great discussion together. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your church. Thank you that we are brothers and sisters united by Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you brought your brother, James, into the family of faith. May we learn from his example today. May we be inspired to talk about the Holy Spirit. If we haven't had some amazing encounter with you, Lord, would you just give us the security and comfort to know that that's okay. And you love us. And maybe you're gearing up to give us an amazing experience of the Holy Spirit very soon. So Lord, help us, lead us, teach us and shape us through our time in the breakout rooms. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can click on the button in the bottom